Hey everyone, just a warning about the audio quality this week. I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, but we are recording through Zoom, so it's not quite as good as it has been in uh, recent episodes. It kind of goes in and out at some parts. There's some mics that are better than others, but it is a really great discussion. It's uh, still a great listen in my opinion, so I hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Alrighty, uh, hello everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Late Late Capitalism Show. We have a special uh, episode for you today. Uh, if the audio sounds a little different, it's because it's running through a Zoom call this week uh, because we have two guests on for our Halloween uh edition episode. <laughs> Spooky, fun. Uh, yeah, so we have uh, our one of our former professors, uh, Dr. Dan Vina, who is um, an assistant professor in the film department at Queens. Uh, Chance and Dean, I know you guys took um, horror with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I took women in film a long time ago. Uh, they were all great classes. We're very excited to have him on today, uh, as well as uh, a PhD candidate, Emily Sanders. And we're going to talk about uh, Rhymes for Young Ghouls and Blood Quantum. So, yeah. Exciting. So thank you both for joining yeah, us. Yeah, thank you so much. No thank problem. Uh, but I do want to. Uh, I want to correct on uh, national airwaves. My last name is Vena, and oh, sorry. in the history of the world, apparently knows how to pronounce this last name. But thank you for the intro, Megan. <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah. I, I let her fall on that grenade. Yeah. <laughs> Hospitality and professionalism—we really strive for on the show. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're, you know, if your whole thing or ethos is to attack capitalism, why be polished about it? Okay, exactly. exactly. Yeah. That's what they want. That's right. Part of our charm. What's in the name? Right? <laughs> Everything that we have ever gotten wrong on the show, that's just part of our charm. That's right. That was intentional. Yeah. <laughs> me yeah, not doing shit. That's intentional. And that's what you said to me too in, in class D. <laughs> if it was wrong, it was intentional. <laughs> it's still it's still okay. It's still okay. It's all performance yeah. art, right? Uh, <laughs> So before we jump into it, uh, I just got to say uh, we got a little content warning uh, for our folks listening on the airwaves uh, that we we do uh, we have been known to do cusses, uh, so be prepared mentally for cusses. But yeah, uh, well, I think you know also be prepared for us to be talking about some uh, really horrific shit. Um, yeah. So genuine yeah. warning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so dean do you want to do a quick summary of the films that we're going to be talking about today just to catch up our listeners at home yeah so uh we are watching uh two films by uh jeff uh, barnaby who is a canadian filmmaker uh he's an indigenous filmmaker and his filmography well before he wasn't really making uh he was big into like sci-fi and horror which are wheelhouses that he's still in but wasn't specifically making indigenous film until recently and the two films that we're discussing today are those uh more indigenous films uh so the first being rhymes for young ghouls which is set in the red crow uh, reservation in the 
early seventies. Yeah, mid mid nineteen seventies. Yeah, mid seventies. Which is a fictional First Nation. Yes, I, right. I double checked. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it is about a young girl named Ayla who her mother uh, committed suicide after accidentally running over a child in a like drunken accident, and her father went to prison for it. Uh, and we we enter the story proper seven years after that, when her father has gotten out of jail, uh, and she is uh, working as a drug dealer uh, on her reservation, and dealing with a horrible. Uh, I think they call him. Uh, uh, he's, so he's an Indian agent. An Indian agent. And you don't need yes. to use the term corrupt because I don't think there's a non-corrupt uh, Indian agent. But his name is Popper, which, mm-hmm. and he looks like he's straight out of bong cop bad cop yeah he's he's a complete monster he's the most canadian looking actor i've ever seen (laughs) (laughs) he looks like every single cbc drama lead all rolled into one what do you what do you mean jesse if you ever look into indian agents they all have very uh kind words to say about each other yes i'm sure our sir john a mcdonald episode has proven that as well as uh the rcmp episode (laughs) indian agents were kind of based (laughs) <laughs> that's right they're certainly red pilled there's we, no doubt they would definitely align with that online subculture yeah I'm pretty confident in saying we, that. we also watched blood quantum which is his more recent film came mm-hmm. out 2019 and it is a zombie flick uh set in the that same uh fictional reservation in the 80s i believe was oh, this one i wasn't oh, i just assumed it's it was a, modern no it's it's set in 85 or 81 yeah. i didn't know it was the same uh fictional reser- reservation though yeah, that's it is. interesting. Okay, cool. Uh, and what happens is it's it's a sort of like a classic like zombie outbreak, uh, and they like slowly realize what's going on. But the twist in this movie is that the indigenous uh, characters are immune to the zombie virus. Uh, w- one of the characters says that uh, nature forgot about them, and they have to. It's again like it's a story about colonialism and uh, just being a native person in Canada. Uh, but with this like schlocky like horror twist and a a lot of the conflict comes not from the actual zombies themselves which are all like white settlers literally consuming uh, like native people alive but from the like intergroup conflict uh, with the indigenous characters so yeah those are that's my roger roger ebert uh, (laughs) little uh, summary there for you chance you happy with that yeah i thought that was pretty good could I add one more thing in terms of the summary for the listeners? Yes, please, please. Um, so Blood Quantum is also supposed to be like somewhat explicitly about the uh, incident at Resty Goosh, which was by Alanis Obamzawin in, uh, in 1984. And it's about the raid from the Sûreté du Québec uh, police forces that came into a Mi'kmaq reserve to try to enforce fishery laws to prevent uh, the Mi'kmaq peoples from salmon fishing. Like they wanted Sorry. to came. You said that was in the past, Emily? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. Right. So super topical. Um, it's, uh, it's important to mention that Jeff Barnaby is a Mi'kmaq indigenous uh, mm-hmm. director. And so these are Mi'kmaq groups um, that he's talking about. So yeah. super topical. <laughs> yeah. And so, so are they now as well yeah. for listeners who are connecting our dots. Yes. Yeah, really. Um, uh, some things never change. And I, I feel like that's usually a theme that comes up in these movies mm-hmm. is um, how some of the the politics of the past really uh, persevere through time. And I feel like even though this these films are set in the past, I feel like you can watch these movies in 20 years and be like, well, yep, 
Yeah. No, nothing's changed. And not only that, but uh, an element in both films is the idea of like sort of generational trauma and the, the sort of the failings of like the parental figures uh, influencing the, the actions and decisions of the children uh, in these movies and how those failings are like brought upon, uh, are sort of uh, brought forth by, again, like institutional racism and violence against these people. And that's what we, in some ways, that's what we expect out of horror. And I feel like I kind of want to add my two cents in here about the kind of construction Jeff Barnaby is utilizing. Horror is often about institutions and even families failing to protect the vulnerable, let's say, as a word. Um, and here we kind of use that and uh, we exploit the, those tropes and themes and make it into a very salient critique against um, the white settler state and colonialism. But also, like, you know, and maybe Emily, you could back me up on this. We're having a, a moment in horror, or I would say horror mm -hmm. is having its moment. And it's not actually, I mean, Dean used the word schlocky. And I think, yes, uh, this is a bit of an ode to the schlocky zombie film, but this is a polished meaning machine. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we are seeing horror have its moments where it reaches back not only into its own archive, but into our own history. And uh, it, there was a boom of women filmmakers doing it. And I think now we are in the boom of uh, directors of color and indigenous directors mm -hmm. um, really exploiting the genre because every time I see a critic be, um, write, well, it's a metaphor. It's like, it's horror's always been a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> you um, Like, where have you been? Of course. Mm -hmm. um, but now it's perhaps uh, meeting the right political moment at the time, at the time to do it. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to kind of jump on with that is I read this one interview with Jeff Barnaby. Um, I think it was set in like the interview took place in April and they talked a lot about how a blood quantum, especially with the zombie virus is really kind of uh, coming out. You know, it, it came out this year, like it was playing at KCFF and I was there. I was supposed to like moderate for blood quantum. And then after like the second screening at KCFF, it shut down because of coronavirus. So all of a sudden you're getting this, this film that's talking about like a plague and also talking about racism specifically against Mi'kmaq people and that those are like some two huge cultural events that are happening uh, in Canada right now and that and that horror becomes this um, this feeling that extends outside of the film right like horror horror is yes and, yeah and in some ways you know the horror of the the current pandemic is the horror of an ecological cleanse right mm -hmm. of the earth um restoring balance and the earth taking back its balance mm -hmm. and the horror we feel i'm going to speak for myself as a white settler is like laughable in some ways to the intergenerational horror of assimilation and genocide yes. that is being, you know, discussed in blood quantum. Mm -hmm. So to have those two moments overlap in history is really interesting, but it's also for us to be mindful as white settlers on this side of the pandemic, uh, this is going to be a moment in time for us. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously the events of blood quantum are ongoing. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. Yeah, I think you raise a good point. Like when when the biggest problem right now is uh, mask politics, you know, yeah, and then you kind of look at uh, what's been going on in indigenous communities forever. It, like you said, it's it's last it's a laughable comparison, right? Um, and I think you kind of see that in Blood Quantum, like how Dean brought up the the zombie 
apocalypse is, is kind of like a secondary almost right <laughs> that's yeah, right yeah first third of the movie yeah yeah like it's almost it's almost as if um i the the first thing that came to mind was like a sitcom right <laughs> where it's like you take these people and you put them in that situation <laughs> and, and it's not necessarily the situation that the part that you're focusing on you're focusing on those people reacting to it more so right and i, and I kind of felt that with that movie uh with blood quantum because like i said it's it's the interesting thing about the movie is it takes very common tropes but it replaces the main characters to kind of show the the, the interpersonal goings on of like how to deal with survival right yeah, uh, absolutely. And the layers of survival and mm-hmm. and hierarchies and power relationships and just human relationships that have to be negotiated to do that. Right. right. Um, and obviously that's the work um, that is the hardest in the film. And I think that's, it's funny because I've seen this too, right? Where um, I, I don't know if you guys have ever looked at horror film reviews, but it's some of the worst film review sections you can ever <laughs> dive into because you're going to get these people that are like constantly just saying oh but it's not scary <laughs> or, or, or they're going to be like oh there's too many jump scares or oh this or oh that or you're going to get the people like um dan said that are just like oh it's a metaphor it's really deep and you're like well like you like, said it's yeah. like that's that's the the horror genre is the vehicle right, <laughs> for these metaphors and it always has been um, yeah, I, I find a lot of horror reviews are almost like theme park ride reviews uh, <laughs> in that, like it's, they're just like like they're reviewing the experiences w- the way you would like for a consumer product and they're like yeah like if you're looking for like xyz like if you want blood watch this one if you don't like drum squ- scares watch this one and not like an actual like artistic critique of the work well, and that's why students can enroll in film and media and learn to dissect and analyze things with <laughs> Professor Dan Venna and Emily Saunders, who will be teaching courses in the winter. But um, I, yeah, to jump on that point of how we actually talk about horror and particularly how we're talking about Rhymes for Young Ghouls and Blood Quantum, this begs the question, who has the right to review this film? Or perhaps not the right, but who has who should be reviewing and telling us the cultural value and importance of this film? To say uh, blood quantum is not scary, then you the next question obviously becomes uh, to who? Like who who is it that you're talking about? Because rhymes rhymes for young ghouls and blood quantum are effing terrifying. Um, And I'm speaking as a white settler. Um, Rhymes for young ghouls. There's a scene, and you know, not to spoil it for viewers, but there's a scene of uh, essentially a pit. Uh, filled of corpses of young children that is buried by the residential school, um, which is a real thing that happened, but is a ghostly image only in the film. And you watch that and you say, oh, well, you know, it's not that scary. There's no jump scares. I'm not sure what you're trying to get from horror then. Right, right. I, I, I was going to, not to jump around too much, but with Blood Quantum, the the conversation that, so... As we said earlier, um, white people are the only people, or, or pretty much non-Indigenous people, are the only people who can contract the zombie virus. And there's conflict between the main characters on how to deal with that. And it comes down to, at one point, with um, Lysol and his takes, essentially how to deal with just like having to take care of white people, even though they haven't treated you properly in the past. Um, 
and the amount of times I've had to have that conversation on my reserve with, with other members of the community is uh, like, I couldn't even tell you how many times I've had to talk that way. And it, it becomes horribly gruesome conversations where it becomes like, what do you do? Right. Mm. Like, how should we handle this? This is a, this is the, the moral quandary of the century, right? Like we're, yeah. we're, we were just some kids sitting on the res, but then it ends up being a conversation of how are we supposed to tolerate seeing these people who have we're, we're constantly told to have done these horrible, horrible things to us, but also just seeing them as people. Mm. Um, so like that whole conflict in the movie had me the most on edge easily. Mm. Right. Which uh, I feel like if you're, if you're not super equated with it or, or, or involved in those kind of conversations, then you don't see it as anything other than like a plot point. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I think that still, that goes to a chance where it's like, um, so who is this film for? Like, what is the, 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 who is it for and who's the audience? Cause that moment where, uh, the, f- uh, a father character brings his daughter wrapped in a blanket to their location, right? Their, mm-hmm. their hideaway. And it's like, a, the metaphor is there and it's super easy to see. She's, literally wrapped up in the Hudson Bay style type blanket being given over as a diseased individual. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, there is a very big moment in the film where it's like, what do you do? And it's so brilliant because it's, it's refracted through the, what do you do? Do you kill a zombie or do you not kill a zombie? And so you're able to dial it back a bit or you're, you know, but it's still, I think it still lands just the same in terms of that emotional, that emotional impact. That's, I think that's one of the things that like, if, Uh, that's one of the things that I've liked about Barnaby's movies is that as an indigenous viewer, there has been movies that I've seen, right? Like, like I could watch like dances with wolves or something. (laughs) And I'm like, and I'm like, okay, this is for white audience. (laughs) Or or I can watch like uh, smoke signals and I'd be like, all right, this is for me. Um, But there's never, not usually is there like a balance between the two or even like a transcendence above that when it comes to the audience. And I feel like Barnaby's films in general could be for anyone, but you just might not pick up on everything. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It's not super explicitly like, Hey, indigenous folk, you need to watch this because we're going to teach you some lessons that you probably already know. Um, (laughs) And like, it's not like super pedantic in that sense. Mm. Like obviously the, the metaphors and the symbolism is there, but it's not so much in your face that like, you feel like it's talking down to you. Right. Yeah, I think it's a very accessible movie. The way I described it to Megan is if uh, I was 16, this would be the greatest movie I've ever seen, just because the concept <laughs> and all, all the work in it is so cool. Right. With everything going over my head. But And actually, that's interesting. You had the discussion you brought up about you know having those discussions on the res. Like, How do you uh, reconcile what you've been told about the white people? that you see every day versus, you know, seeing them as people. I, that's something I obviously wouldn't have picked up on doing this. And and then it becomes an interesting kind of introspective thing where is it unfair for me to want the indigenous group in this movie to be better than the white people who colonize them and, you know, accept everybody and create this new society. Like, is that then wrong of me to be like, Oh yeah, of course that's what they should do. Not knowing, you know, generations of trauma and what that can breed. I feel like this movie would have been, crazy 
if uh, they took Lysol characters and every time he was on screen, they put like big triumphant music. And then like he, he ends up just like wiping out and obliterating all white people. And then the movie's over. That's the twist. White genocide is real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it. Like but, that would have been brutal. You know, uh, one of, one of the things that I, I sort of found uh, that I didn't really like about the blood quantum film specifically was that Lysol, like he, like his, his point of view, like is logical and makes sense for him and for other members of his community and other people like, uh, even, um, the, the nurse, uh, character, the Joss, yeah, Joss, the mm -hmm. ex-wife of, uh, of the father figure, uh, cop, uh, says that she agrees with him to a certain extent about how they shouldn't be letting like these white settlers in because it jeopardizes their community. Uh, but then by, by the third act of the film, Lysol has gone completely off the rails uh, and is totally fine with wiping out everyone in the compound, including uh, his native relatives and community members. Uh, and it's sort of like, maybe I'm just reading into this wrong, but for me, I read that as like, okay, like you have this uh, like solid point and it's sort of hard to get around Lysol's argument. So uh, he has to be made like uh, extremely villainous for us to side with the the people who want to let the white settlers in maybe maybe you, I'm, saw, you saw him as villainous uh i i feel like he's sort of villainous at least that is how he was portrayed like you said he didn't have triumphant music behind him oh yeah i'm saying he wasn't he certainly wasn't the hero uh, he's he was very tragic where like it took me a while to understand i had like the same dilemma you did dean where i was mm -hmm. like whoa he really escalated from where he was to where he ended up but then i remember they talk about wasn't there like a lot of scorn to him in the community for, I think it was what the actions of his parents, like there's this generational kind of decision oh, yeah. towards him and trauma. And I was like, I could actually kind of understand why, especially when you look at the issues he has later in the film, like the last scene we see of him before a very, very rough <laughs> incident <laughs> is, is, yeah. <laughs> is him doing like a copious amount of drugs. Like, yeah. And, and then it becomes like, is this a coping mechanism? Is this something like it touches on, you know, substance abuse within vulnerable communities. And I think the more I thought about Lysol and his, let's just call it an escalation. The more I was like, yeah, you know what? I, I kind of get it. He's not in his quote unquote right mind. And he has just generational trauma. That's only been worsened. I'm sure by what's going on in the rest of the world. It's but like, also in a sense, it, it doesn't take much to look at different, like, like identity political movements <laughs> and see that they do end up collapsing on each other at some point in time True. in order to try to get a goal, right? Well, um, sure. I mean, yeah. yes, look at us in some ways right now, but, right. Um, or the, the, the left right now in some ways, but, <laughs> right. uh, <laughs> um, but I, I think I, I want to, what seems to be uh, kind of underscoring or, or part of what, you all are talking about is also what we do with rage um, and characters who have rage and anger. Cause uh, t technically speaking, the, the angriest or the scariest character in the horror movie is, is the bad one. Um, and we grow accustomed because of effed up colonial ideologies to discounting the value of rage and anger. Mm -hmm. And specifically when it's mapped onto indigenous bodies, because 
if indigenous bodies uh, lash out amongst their communities, they're criminals and can't be trusted. If yeah. they lash out against um, white settler communities, they are criminals and cannot be trusted. And so now you have a character or characters who are trapped and not only trapped in the zombie apocalypse, they have no way out. They mm -hmm. have a, no emotional way out either. Um, and I'm, I'd be curious what, what you all thought about this, this portrait of rage and anger. Yeah, I, I, I don't mind taking that up. And then I would actually like to hear what Megan has to say, because we, we disagree a lot when it comes to, like, uh, violence as a means. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, like, looking into violence as, uh, like, or, or rage as a political means or, like, a political utility, it tends to get pushed away into fringe, theoretical, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, abstract, mm -hmm. you know, it's usually seen as this outside thing uh, rather than the very real usefulness of it, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Like if you look at um, currently in Canada, if you look at all the, the blockades that are going on, if you look at the protests that are going on, that comes from uh, not only survivalism, but it comes from a sense of being fed up mm -hmm. and a sense of anger. And mm -hmm. in that anger, things can get done, right? And like having that rage, like you said, not only pushes other people away, like it pushes the media away. Like they don't want to touch that stuff with like a, right. And you know, they don't sorry, even want to talk about it, but I know we're going to get Megan a chance, chance, sorry, but like, you know, uh, but it, 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 sometimes it's who's rage. Cause second wave yeah, oh, feminism, 100%. they were fucking pissed. They yeah. were pissed. Oh yeah, And that was women's rage, but it's cause you know, it was white women doing it. And that yeah. rage is, um, tolerated or even like, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like how, it, like you said, it's it's policing how it comes out, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, take a look at International Women's Day, and people, mm -hmm. you know, the media loved covering that. Like, mm -hmm. because it was something that they enjoyed and would, you know, bolster up and be like, this is, this, this is how it should be done. Mm -hmm. um, they don't like it when it's outside of that realm of what they feel comfortable doing. Mm -hmm. right it also becomes when they acknowledge that rage they have to ask oh well what what are they so angry about and once you start asking that question you start realizing oh <laughs> yeah this goes way deeper right. than I expected <laughs> yeah i feel like i pretty much totally agree with you in the, in this sense like normally when we're fighting about use of violence or whatever it's we're talking about like should like leftists have guns and i'm like no maybe not <laughs> yeah that's a that's a deep cut i i i totally agree with like the 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 thought of and use of rage like from from such a point of like oppression and injustice i i i feel like that's completely justified and again like as you were saying it's maligned all the time by anyone um who is doing the oppressing and says like the second you get violent, like it's completely your point is gone. Um, yeah. So, but what I actually have been thinking, I think Dan, maybe it was you earlier just mentioned something about being trapped. And I've been sort of thinking about that concept because in both movies, there's like a point where they leave or run away. Like after um, in rhymes for young ghouls, the four kids um, rob the residential school and then say like, they're going to know it was us. We need to get out of here. We need to leave. Mm. And they end up not leaving. And then at the end of the zombie film, they like get away on this boat. And in both times mm. I was thinking like, where are they going to go? Like, and, mm -hmm. and it made me think a lot about chance. I don't know if you want to talk about this, but um, about growing up or like living 
either on res or off res, but just like being part of an indigenous community where like that is like, if you speak that language, that's the only other people that speak that language. Like that's your entire like family and community. And like when the kids were talking about running away for a white person in Canada, like you can move cities all the time. It's like the culture reigns the same, but leaving your first nation and like even just like moving away somewhere else, that's your entire culture that you're leaving behind. So like, I don't know. I thought that was interesting in both of them because especially at the end of blood quantum on the boat and i was like it's a zombie apocalypse and this is like two people and a baby in a boat like what is happening yeah 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 yeah. no i i think both of these films touch on geography a lot Mm -hmm. which i think i think emily can attest to is very prominent in just like canadian film in Mm -hmm. general like uh, geography is incredibly important and like um connection to that area and like the end of blood quantum we we said uh sorry for the spoilers earlier spoiler alert yeah you should just go watch this movie we're gonna talk about it but uh blood quantum where the grandfather is like i'm staying back yeah. i'm not leaving we yeah. grandpa we love him yeah. <laughs> samurai grandpa that's right he was awesome i loved him and 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 that line was fantastic right mm-hmm. him being like i'm not leaving again Th- yeah. there was a specific i watched a, a documentary or sorry not a documentary a uh an interview with barnaby where he references a documentary that's na- the name escapes me but he uh talks about how it, it was a documentary about the events that blood quantum are based on when the cop- incident at rusty goosh by alanis abomsawin from Thank 1984 that's it <laughs> <laughs> uh and there there's an old uh Mi'kmaq, uh man who uh has an axe and he says i'm going to draw a line in the sand oh, with my axe yeah. and you will not cross this line <laughs> which is exactly what the grandfather figure does yeah. at the end of the movie mm-hmm. oh, extremely yeah. cool Oh yeah, that's 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 imagery. Like you, you can't even dream of that kind of imagery. Yeah, like it no. just has to happen in the moment. Both of those movies had a moment that made me go, "Fuck yes!" And then in the immediate aftermath, go, "But there, wait, there's <laughs> still what? What was the one for? I, rhymes, I, rhymes for young ghouls. Like this, really the last scene of the movie involving Popper. Which, and once again, this is a movie I recommend you watch yourself. For me, it certainly it was a very like fascinating film experience, but a character gets the comeuppance we want them to get, but then something incredibly tragic happens when you realize the actual logistics of this. You can't Mm -hmm. just, I'm going to say a spoiler. So if you don't want to hear this, skip 30 seconds ahead. You can't just have an Indian agent killed on reserve property and expect, you know, things are going to get wrapped up nicely. And the crowd cheers. Well, that's the thing. And I went, oh, that's great. Especially since it was a practical effect of a man's Mm -hmm. head blown off. Mm -hmm. But then I went, oh (laughs) shit. And of course, Joseph takes the fall for it. And, it was one of those things where I felt so much satisfaction for a split second and then just like so much sorrow in the fact that we've watched mm-hmm. someone who is ostensibly, and they t- say this in the movie, you know, someone who does the right things for wrong reasons. And then sometimes the wrong thing for good reasons, mm-hmm. do a good thing and, you know, take the fall and ruin his life. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's also perfect. Like it's a kid, right. That saves Ayla. And then, and I think, I think in blood quantum as well, like the stories aren't really neatly wrapped up. I think what Jeff Barnaby is purposely trying to do is not necessarily give an answer. Like this is, this is how we solve you know, relationships between (laughs) white people and indigenous people, but, but actually centering the rage of indigenous people and, and um, kind of leaving white people behind, which I think is, is part of what, 
like me as a white settler, like I think he's is trying to play with that affect of discomfort and trying to let you kind of wrestle with it, right? Like really like, and, I, and one other scene I wanted to talk about with Blood Quantum was how um, when, you know, early on, once they have the compound all set up and they have the white people who are trying to come in, you know, they ask one person if she's been bitten, she says no. And, you know, but we know that she mm -hmm. has been bitten. We know that she mm -hmm. is infected. It's that weird, mm -hmm. like, it's that weird denial of infection or weird, like denial of responsibility and culpability by white people that I think is, um, is just a really interesting and really important thing that he kind of does consistently throughout uh, these two films. Cause he's only done two feature length films so far. Mm -hmm. I think, I think um, what you're hitting on is kind of what I was feeling in the beginning, it, but it <laughs> said much better. The, the feeling of um, the kind of pedantic who was, who is the audience. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like Jeff Barnaby in these films by not tying things up, uh, perfectly mm -hmm. and by not displaying like you know the good and the bad like even the good characters have their sides right mm -hmm. um, I think that makes it less of a pedantic thing of like you know indigenous resistance is always just going to be this great thing and it's always going to work out in the mm -hmm. end mm -hmm. and everyone's on the same page because we're all fighting the same fight I think I think that's where these movies kind of step aside from you know, different literature I've read in the past. I feel like more contemporarily, people are going that route. Um, but, but like previously, you were writing to a white audience and you were trying to convince them like, hey, we're, we're, tr we're the good guys here, right? Mm. Uh, we're not the mm -hmm. bad guys. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas now, I think what Barnaby's doing is kind of muddying those waters, not in the sense of saying like, what we're doing is wrong, but not everything that we're doing is right or will end up in, you know, uh, a good light. Yes. And that's, I think that's it, right? Like uh, the affect of the action might not always be uh, warm and fuzzy. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it may not be uh, political revolution may not look pretty warm and fuzzy. <laughs> um, and I think that's one of the biggest lies white supremacy and colonial colonialism tells you is mm -hmm. that, um, to be good in the world is to be quiet in the world. And it's mm -hmm. like, that is so deeply ingrained. And I speak as a white Italian Roman Catholic. <laughs> uh, so who upholds a number of the markers of those ideologies, like um, right, right. it is, it is shameful. It is sinful to be, um, to be upset vocally or to mm -hmm. hold anger vocally or mm -hmm. to raise, you know, raise against power. And I think this film, I think it was Dean who had the metaphor of the reviews feel like uh, a roller coaster experience summary, but in some ways it is a roller coaster ride <laughs> yeah, of different yeah. emotions, um, depending on who you are, like depending on who you are. But I think the one thing, hopefully white viewers don't go and I want to like make a pitch to to individuals like me, don't go into self-loathing and guilt shame. Like, don't do that. <laughs> that would be so fun. Don't do that. No, there's no time for white guilt in these movies. Like, you gotta, you have a fucking zombie apocalypse to worry about. So, like, get your shit right. together. Yeah, that would be really funny if, like, halfway through Blood Quantum, like a white guy starts crying. <laughs> <laughs> that, that does 
<laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. Well, and what happens when he kills himself, right? Like when yeah. he kills himself, yeah. he kind of, I don't think it's him that kind of starts the outbreak in the compound, but it's that same yeah. thing. Like, like if you, if you're a white person that feels bad, like there's no, there's nothing productive that comes out of like white yeah, guilt. Bad. Yeah. 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 It, it, it does nothing. Yeah. It, it's, I guess it's a, uh, you know, not only is this, is Barnaby's films kind of like an attack on what it means to follow the status quo, right? Mm. Um, which is very prominent in um, indigenous, like just indigeneity in general. But also it's it's kind of like, you know, the the practicality of your beliefs. Like, like where where do they kind of, where does it turn into, I want to do this because I think it's, good for everyone or i want to do this because i i you know i just feel like it's however minuscule of an outcome will even come of it like you know with the guy killing himself like nothing comes of that really he just like it's a problem <laughs> and that's it and that's his solution and 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 that's it and i think um of, of any of the takeaways from this movie it's kind of that like if you're going to do something it might as well be at least impactful right mm -hmm. and i guess like the critique of white guilt as like so lacking of impact <laughs> like it literally does nothing yeah, I would also say that that's kind of, I think that's that's an important sentiment to keep in mind, especially with filmmakers of color. Like there's, there's a, I think, especially in the history of Canadian film, there's a lot of pressure for uh, filmmakers of color to make films that are representative of their community. And like one voice can't really do that. It, and, and it's kind of a pressure that like white directors, I don't necessarily think have in the same way um yeah. so yeah i mean like no. srinivas krishna uh did masala anyways like there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of things to think about i well, guess i'm trying to say or yeah, yeah. yeah no emily and that's a, a good point because in i think you know I, I okay i'm not on social media i have really no mm -hmm. understanding of our contemporary moment in a lot <laughs> of ways but from what i understand i think there has been a little bit of pushback against this film um, for its kind of, uh, I want to say like hyper masculinity in some ways, mm -hmm. like in mm -hmm. its kind of maybe, and I'm not using these as my words, but like it's failure at feminism in some ways. Yes. Yeah. Um, but okay. And I'm coming from a perspective. Uh, my dissertation was on women reclaiming horror. So I often don't look at uh, male centered or male created horror. Uh, and this blood quantum fits that mold pretty much, um, even though it is made by an indigenous filmmaker. And I think in some ways there is the temptation to be like, why isn't this film doing enough here there you know but is it is it reasonable and emily if you're aware of these critiques like is it reasonable to even level them at a film that is is the first of its kind like yeah. just jeff barnaby is the first indigenous horror filmmaker uh mm -hmm. at least within the canadian context so it's like um what <laughs> how much ought a film shoulder or do at once yeah i haven't read too many reviews i was mostly reading interviews with jeff barnaby mm -hmm. but i think actually he he kind of pushed back about this idea of him as a genre kind of a, a genre mm -hmm. auteur i guess at all mm -hmm. as well but i i do think that in terms of um like like i think 
I just think that that extra kind of like socio-political burden is placed mm. on directors of color in a way that they aren't on white on white directors. That's that's yeah, mostly what I wanted yeah. to get at. No, no, absolutely. Mm. And it and happened from, mm. with Get Out too and Jordan Peele's yes. work. Um, yeah. You know, there were critiques. It's like, oh, but you know, where's his feminism? I was like, yeah. no, his white feminism is exactly what it should be. It betrays yeah. Chris. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like, right. oh no, it's exactly what it needs to be. And I think yeah. people here discount the role. Uh, so Elmaya Tailfeathers is the mm -hmm. one um, playing, is it Joss? Yeah, Joss. Joss, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And she is a filmmaker actor creator in her mm -hmm. own right and i think her casting is uh a very very telling of yeah. an indigenous filmmaking community in canada yeah. um and working with one another but also telling for like she has made uh short films in particular about mm -hmm. revenge on the system revenge against sexual predators white mm -hmm. uh, white men who are predators so it's like yeah. these, this this is a I think Jennifer Burnaby, um, you know, is not being given some credit for, yeah. for what he's doing here. On a side note with Elmaya Tailfeathers, she also came out with a film uh, called The Body Remembers When the mm -hmm. World Broke Open in 2019. Mm -hmm. And that's all about uh, women indigenous experience in like contemporary, I think, uh, B.C., um, mm -hmm. really good, really good film. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's, I think to go back to our conversation of anger, like Jeff Barnaby's anger or, you know, emotions may look different than mm -hmm. when the world broke apart that Elmaya mm -hmm. Tailfeathers did. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I think, I think too, um, like a lot of people, I don't know. I, I say a lot of people in a very, I don't know, non-specific sense. I'm not being literal here, but I feel like people, uh, forget about indigenous masculinity as a very purveying culture mm -hmm. um like it is like toxically strong right mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. if you're going to try to take a feminist take on a reserve it becomes very difficult to also try to be realistic i guess you could say because a lot of the times, like, I feel like it can be done. I'm not saying it can't be done. It can always be done. But if you're going to try to depict a reserve, like, the amount of obstacles and hurdles that are in the way is insane when it comes to, like, the community understanding of, like, what women are supposed to do, quote, unquote, because there's a lot of, like, horrid um, ass backwards traditional politics of like women are supposed to do this and that and people don't realize that all of that comes from like you know the the settler colonial ideal mm -hmm. yeah i was gonna ask about that because from what i had learned and mind you this is not of course lived experience at all but just from what i've encountered yeah, yeah. In courses i've taken that especially in the quote-unquote earlier days of indigenous settlements women were often like the cultural and spiritual leaders of a lot of the communities. I don't know if that's a collective yeah. thing, but I know well, a lot of what I read yeah. based around that. Well, so. it's, it's really funny, right? <laughs> because that is, that is true, especially with like, um, the Mohawk, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the Mi'kmaq also have, uh, a very similar society, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. but, um, that doesn't mean that the culture reflects that. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Like mm -hmm. there's a difference between what the, what history tells you mm -hmm. and how people are actually acting. Like history will also tell you that there's a lot of nations that were very open to LGBTQ plus <laughs> yeah. people. Oh yeah. Uh, but I, I grew up on a reserve mm -hmm. uh, as a bisexual mm -hmm. man. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that wasn't good. Uh, um, <laughs> they weren't open arms, and they weren't like, "Oh yeah, that's historically this is how it worked," and we we loved your folks. Like, it was it was very very bad, right? Yeah. Um, and and I think that's where it becomes difficult, right? Balancing um, the romanticized like indigenous cultures love women mm-hmm. versus the reality which is on reserves like female like uh, like spousal abuse is so high yeah. right like yeah. it's, it's 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 disgusting and like the amount of like i said earlier the amount of hurdles that are in the way for like a uh, a woman to actually be successful is mm-hmm. is it's disgusting mm-hmm. and and so i think if you were to go that route you would really have to find the perfect balance between like trying not to romanticize and also being realistic. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, and what do you, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, well just like with rhymes for young ghouls, I'm kind of interested in, in like maybe going back to this because it's, you know, yeah. it's female centered. Yeah. We have Kawana yeah. Hade, uh, Devery Jacobs who runs an economy at like 16 and also kind of saves like her community and, and yeah. the, especially the young kids in the community and is also like not overtly sexualized, very much aligned yeah. with like creativity and kind of independence and also like logic reason. And also, I guess, um, you know, we we have images of women in uh, blood quantum. Well, actually, not as much in blood quantum, but in rhymes for young ghouls, where where we see a little bit of of um, violence, like the effects of violence against women in mm. like in mm. the Red Crow Reserve. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. also, it doesn't like remain there, and and uh, and we see that through Ayla, right? Like her her kind of agency is what's centered in the movie. And so, I guess I'm also wondering, like how much i don't i don't know if we can answer this right now but like isn't it kind of useful maybe that jeff barnaby isn't choosing just to focus on images of trauma with women in reserves especially with uh, rhymes for young ghouls and yeah i don't know not a fully formed question there but rhymes for young ghouls (laughs) i i I think that's a uh, that's a good thought though right because that was one of the things that i always think about a lot like just as a Okay, as an indigenous person consuming indigenous media, it's oddly conflicting because mm. like I said earlier, a lot of the times it is for white audiences to get mm. exposed to certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you grow up on a reserve as an indigenous person, you've already been exposed to those things. So you don't need mm-hmm. someone to hold your hand through it. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in that case, I think it's, you know, I think you're right. I think the the choice to not focus on the trauma as much rather than it just being a fact, I guess you could say mm-hmm. it's not downplayed at all by any means, but it's not the focus. Right? Yeah. It sets up the scene for sure. Like it's still yeah, really yeah. important, but it's not, it's not the images that we see for the next like hour and a half or and whatever. I, and I think that kind of helps uh, like as an indigenous viewer, because then you don't feel like the person's reintroducing you to things mm. that you already know mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. things that you've already experienced that you don't feel necessarily like experiencing again. Right. Yeah. Do you, I was going to ask, like, do you feel cared for as a viewer? Cause I think there's a lot of push now um, in, in TV and in, in film for these very, and I want to use the word utopia and not yeah. as a actual, like you don't see images of utopia, but utopian 
treatment of topics that are so intertwined with trauma. So right. the television show Pose dealing with the lives of Black trans women in the AIDS crisis has what feels to me, and I speak only as a white trans guy, uh, love and care in it. And mm -hmm. even though you have to confront certain things throughout that series, there is a tenderness there and a knowingness towards its audience. So it's like, we're not going to do this again to you. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I think it's here in Barnaby's work. And I'd be curious what you all might kind of, you know, lend to his treatment of care in those emotions. Yeah. Like I think I, again, on one hand, it's like, I'm glad that I don't have to be re-exposed to certain things. Like I'm kind of, I, I'm treated as if I'm a smart individual who already understands some contextual things. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'm actually interested in hearing um, what the others at the table have to feel about this, whether it exposed them enough to some of the things or if they felt like in the dark when it came to certain historical or even like subtextual understandings of uh, like identity politics, I guess you could say. Yeah. I, oh, sorry. Uh, go ahead, Megan. I was going to say, actually, Jesse, I'm curious to hear what you were going to say about it because I feel like, a lot of times on the show when we're talking about like indigenous issues, obviously like all four of us have very wildly different backgrounds of knowledge on this, but I feel just because of my degree, I happen to know, like <laughs> obviously not know a ton. I'm not indigenous. I don't have like that full background, but I know more of the historical context just because of classes I took. So then I feel like for me watching those movies, I sort of, I, grasped the metaphors and like mm. understood like what they were talking about understood like the horrors of residential schools and everything um but i know that when we talk about it you're saying that you didn't learn a lot of that growing up or in yeah. school so yeah. i feel bad because most of my exposure to a lot of indigenous culture is unfortunately grappling with like atrocities inflicted upon them and that's because of the crossover with my degree that i took here at queen's and just not a lack, it's like a lack of any kind of personal exposure to, you know, non-traumatic indigenous experience growing up. Uh, I thought from, I, for the record, loved Rhymes for Young Ghouls. I said it to you guys in the group chat last night. It's one of my favorite pieces of Canadian film I've seen in a long time. I thought literally from the first shot where in the background, you can see the residential school, mm -hmm. this perfect pristine white up on the hill. I actually did feel a lot of dread as soon as I saw that. I went, mm -hmm. oh my God, these people are literally living in the shadow of like, essentially hell and i i was like literally from the first shot of that movie like i was invested also this is just a side note mostly esoteric uh burner looks a lot like meatloaf circa 1976 <laughs> <laughs> they the exact same build and hair and i was like all right i'm rooting for this guy <laughs> he's got bigger better things on the way i can tell that, yeah that's uh that was the thing that really struck me about rhymes for young ghouls is that well, there are like supernatural elements. Uh, the the horrifying thing, the actual terror, comes exclusively from the residential schools, oh, which is completely real. <laughs> yes, mm -hmm. and and mm. the Indian agent Popper, like, yeah. turns in like not unhinged, but there's this perfect level of like menace and malice mm -hmm. in every scene he's in, to where like he's not some over the top supervillain where you're like, oh, this couldn't be real. He's like controlled evil. <laughs> exactly, he's like the perfect cop character where he knows that he controls the entirety of or he thinks he has the complete and total power in this dynamic he's incredibly corrupt and like uh, the scene where he's like if you are a habi if you habitually fuck with these rules you'll end up on the hill like the rest mm. of them was a line that literally stuck with me for the rest of the night and most of today and i was like 
old. And he obviously like saying that like he knows how evil the school yeah. is, and like saying everyone that to children working yeah. in that system at the time like knew what they were doing. And like, also, <laughs> at least from what I understood, he was at the school as a youth as well. Like he was in classes with Joseph. Like they talked mm-hmm. about that, the major mm-hmm. plot points. Like mm-hmm. you can maybe argue that as you know a white man, a white boy, he was you know exempt from a lot of the atrocities that the mm-hmm. indigenous people experience but you can't really make a substantive argument that he didn't know what was going on and now that he's mm-hmm. like, perpetuates this <laughs> and now literally it makes it worse on yeah. top of that you see of course like the religious exploitation the cultural exploitation but he is literally economically exploiting these people as well mm-hmm. collecting the entirety of certainly ayla's uh you know business which she pays to keep herself essentially out of jail it's I- like uh, it was he was the most terrifying character and like one of the most memorable memorable characters i've seen in mm. a film in quite a long time he stuck with me and i, I think it, this is the beauty we're seeing in this genre and i know emily you were saying yeah jeff barnaby kind of i guess pushes back against this genre auteur um status but you know if we're if we're going to claim both rhymes for young ghouls and blood quantum this is the horror moment where uh the scariest thing in the room isn't the monster anymore the scariest yeah. thing in the room now is the person with cultural and institutional power mm-hmm. and for those who haven't seen lovecraft country this is another okay. great example it's a television show produced by jordan peele a blend of hp lovecraft's science fiction world with the exploits of a black family in the 1960s south 50s 60s south and there's a scene and it's the most horrific thing i've ever seen it's a car chase between this black family and a white sheriff and that's all it is but it's the most horrific thing i've ever seen Mm -hmm. and this this tv show also has monsters with googly eyes that pop up and kill you and suck your blood and it's like whatever who cares about those guys like you have this like you know white supremacist cop on your hands to deal with and i think this is the sun setting yeah just yes yes and and so like this is i think like the brilliance of these films right you could you refract so much of the issues like the way in which uh white people regain power generationally and through institutions right like how these uh indian agents quote unquote like you know can accrue this kind of power and then that becomes the horror like we don't need more monsters we could have them and they're certainly kind of there there's this kind of spooky ghost ghost feeling to rhymes for young ghouls but it's like we're we are i think beginning to unmask the monsters that haunted the genre so much mm-hmm. and exposing them i feel like very much like that scooby-doo moment where it's like yeah. it was a guy all along <laughs> it's yeah. like yeah the real <laughs> yeah 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 definitely yeah. I, I i think about it uh, like i was thinking about it when i was watching these movies and these movies don't even come close to the horror of watching, you know, any documentary on like the Oka crisis mm-hmm. or, or like the Ipawash crisis. Like yeah. I was sitting there and I was like, I'm immune. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Guy's getting his entrails ripped out. And I'm like, nah, this is chill. <laughs> like this is better than like children getting stabbed because and and I think that's kind of like the, the thesis in itself. Right. Where, um, blood quantum is, incredibly gory over the top ridiculousness right but like i i think the the purpose of that is like the exposure to that makes you realize that like you said like that's not the the real fear the real fear in this situation isn't death it's that nothing comes out of it 
or that like nothing fictional is actually as terrifying as what mm-hmm. happened oh. in real life or yeah, what yeah. has mm-hmm. happened. Like my, yeah. my, uh, my heart didn't race nearly as fast when people are getting eaten alive as it did when, like I said, Lysol was talking about what do we do with these white people mm-hmm. at the gate when they were bringing in the child who got bit. That is when my heart started beating the fastest, mm-hmm. the whole movie, because that's a very real thought, you know? How do how do you handle this, your territory, and having to also help these people, and also knowing that there's been so many chances for them to just completely obliterate you and efforts to do so? Um, mm. And I, and I think I think both of these movies do an incredible job at portraying that. Like you said, <laughs> that the monster is real. That the monster is real, and I think I kind of even maybe if we flip the conversation, because as we were saying, we're so often exposed to images when it comes to indigeneity on screen that are innately linked to trauma. Not that they aren't here, but this is also a kick-ass zombie movie with yeah. like the survivor, like you know mm-hmm. about indigenous survivors and and or survivors uh, who give of themselves. Like I'm thinking of our samurai grandpa who like give of themselves mm-hmm. to extend, you know, the survivor to extend the, the life of their, their family and relatives. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm, you know, maybe we could kind of just think through or even just chat about like just watching a movie with the concept being like, you know, it's a, it's a zombie apocalypse and the only ones who get to survive are indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, the, th- the thing that I've been uh, toying with in my head is the fact that it is a zombie movie. Uh, and I find, I think that's very important. Like a- as we learned in your, in your wonderful class uh, that like zombies are very useful symbolic tools that can mean all sorts of things. And what I found at least in like what has become like, you know, we're sort of overrun with like zombie uh, media, not so much anymore, but especially like oh, five, ten five years, years ago. ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <it was> re- <laughs> yes. Like Walking Dead was everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, like that specific moment of like zombie frenzy, I saw that as uh, especially the Walking Dead. It's a lot of like white people from the South. There are like other uh, characters mm-hmm. of other races too. But I, I find that like that zombie subgenre like really matches well with like the, the prepper community and yeah, like the, the people subculture. who are yeah getting ready for doomsday. And mm-hmm. there were even like zombie prepper like kits that you could buy mm-hmm. back then uh, mm-hmm. for like $200. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but the Reddit special. Yeah. But um, <laughs> for me, like I think like zombies there sort of symbolize coming waves of like immigrants or like climate refugees mm, yeah. and like there are these white people who are yeah. just waiting for the day when they're allowed to go like off. defend their home <laughs> yeah look at from look the at coming horde yeah world war z it's like a wall of brown bodies coming over mm. that white people just get to like obliterate on exactly. that they're completely justified in doing so because yeah, they have to protect their that's the white that's the white fantasy what if like the yeah. utopian yeah. state in that book is israel where they're yeah. like uh we are prepared we were ready almost as if we'd been practicing for <laughs> yes, before that right. but uh blood quantum i really appreciated for completely flipping that on its head where you still have this like oh this is justified violence like defending our homeland but it's indigenous people who are the original people who this is their actual homeland yeah, this right. is not like the white settlers homeland whatsoever uh defending it against white settlers and also just like the image of like colonialism like eating up everything it Mm -hmm. the entire world is what a zombie Mm -hmm. does so (laughs) yeah yeah Mm -hmm. 
And also just like, like uh, while indigenous people are immune in blood quantum, I mean, we do like, they're, they're not immune from the zombies. They're just immune from being infected. And, and that whole, like just going back to that whole imagery where they can still get like mauled to death. Right. Mm-hmm. From, from tons of, mm-hmm. you know, white zombies, but. Even when the entire world dies, they're still being preyed upon by white people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They still have these problems. (laughs) While we were watching, Dean mentioned like, oh, this is kind of as well. You know, we we were talking about this recently when we were covering like uh, like the Mi'kmaq fishers, but um, the fact that white people in Canada are like, indigenous people are so lucky and cool. Like, they don't have <laughs> taxes. And like, Sorry, and I just had a really <laughs> nasty yeah. reaction to uh, that. Yeah, should. like all, all my Warren heads know that like uh, the, the, the phrase blood quantum uh, is in reference to like Indian blood laws mm-hmm. in the United yes. States, right. Canada. Yes. Uh, and it's all about like qu- like quantifying like if you have yeah. like X amount of ancestors or like even at this point they God. do DNA tests mm-hmm. uh, to determine whether or not you count uh, yeah. as as a native. Which oh, that's yeah. how I have uh, Indian status. Yeah, that's how everyone has Indian status. Exactly. You have to prove that uh, you're a part of a lineage, and blood quantum is this pseudoscientific way of doing it where they say you're you know one third uh indigenous because so and so slept with so and so and therefore you have this amount of blood in you and the problematic you know this is a deeply problematic concept which is railed against you know from lots of different sides but when we think about you know as chance is saying where that lineage come from comes from we're talking about like rape and sexual assault like Mm -hmm. you know like we're we're not talking about many like we're talking about generations of indigenous women who were sexually assaulted had children mm-hmm. from those assaults and that is partly what is allowing this kind of idea of a blood quantum to continue mm-hmm. so it's like i think people people who are new to that term or may not know a lot about it it is a deeply colonial term yeah. that is again used to measure and curb indigenous populations mm-hmm. as much as you know there are indigenous scholars who do discuss blood quantum and and you know the idea of whether it should be kept or not and so it's a lot more complicated than this but i think mm-hmm. as it's being invoked by the film it's being invoked i think this history of colonization that's attached to it so so you're mm-hmm. saying that it's not cool for me to brag at parties that i oh i'm 132 uh, first nations on my mother that is correct <laughs> okay, <laughs> Well done. Yeah. As a white settler speaking to another white settler, which is what we should be doing, uh, it's freaking uncool of you, Dean. All right. Yeah, Dean no, bus- Dean, I'm that's writing that down right now. Dean's favorite party trick. <laughs> I just announced it as I walk into rooms. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like one of the things, too, about Blood Quantum, which this film even gets into, is that it. Now, in the beginning, obviously, it was um, taken as a farce. But over time, it gets drilled into the indigenous psyche that it's a very real thing and that it's something that you should be worried about. And this movie kind of dives into that with the the interracial relationships mm-hmm. and and right. mm-hmm. and the child, right? Oh, because they uh, don't know if it's going to be immune at the end. Yeah, they don't that. know if yeah. it's going to be immune because they don't know how indigenous the child is. Oh, yeah. yeah, right, and and. and 
most people aren't worried about immunity, but there are people who will literally tell you, you cannot date white people. You cannot marry white people on a reserve. There's people to this day. I have uh, friends on Facebook um, or I did have friends on Facebook <laughs> who would, uh, who would comment on other people's uh, pictures with uh, their white partner and be like, Oh, you think you're, you're indigenous. Not anymore. You essentially lost your, your ability to be indigenous now that you're dating white your child is going to be a white child regardless this is a very real culture uh, around like what makes someone indigenous and it being mm. solely about your your parents mm-hmm. right and uh, and i think that's a very interesting way to to end blood quantum was mm-hmm. just the baby being born and us you know seeing a baby and and that's kind of just it rather than them proving whether it's immune or not Mm. or whether you know it has enough indigeneity in its blood well it kind of i like that it doesn't actually become a question right it's just a statement like she's going to be fine like she's immune and and while that is a tension at the beginning of the film i liked that they didn't try to explain why she was immune necessarily like they didn't they didn't try to get into again like pseudoscience like quantum levels or something it was just kind of like because i said so she is immune and she is my child and like she's gonna be okay yeah Um, yeah i liked that yeah me too but uh no, and I think the the end is also um, what what rings out more about futurity than the semiotic of a baby, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the baby oh, yeah. is futurity, and mm-hmm. um, it, it may be a little bit ambiguous that fr- futurity, but I think it's a brilliant kind of cultural move on Barnaby's part to mm-hmm. kind of give something that cannot be resolved, some sort of resolution. Like this is a film. If you think about the metaphor of the film and you think about all the things we've been discussing right now, it it cannot possibly be solved neatly by the metaphor of the film. So to end it on the baby as futurity or just the focus of, you know, tomorrow Mm-hmm. Um, seems to me like a pretty smart and savvy bow to put on this, if you can call mm-hmm. it a bow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Of all the endings to have, I definitely think the symbolic nature of just the, the continuation that is like having a child. Uh, yeah. is It's very optimistic in a sense. Yeah. And also um, I wanted to, like, there's that quote that happens at the beginning of the film that talks explicitly about this idea of, um, of, I don't know, reproduction and, and women and, and their role, like in just kind of. Uh, I, actually, I actually have it right here. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, Dean, <laughs> taking great notes as usual. <laughs> so uh, the quote is take heed to thyself, thyself that thou make no treaty with the inhabitants of the lands whither, whither thou goest, lest it be cause of ruin among you break down their altars, smash their sa- sacred stones, burn down their groves. When they whore themselves to their demons and sacrifice them, you will eat the sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters for your sons, they will lead your sons to do the same. Mm-hmm. Ancient settler proverb, Fucking which I brutal. did some research into that. That is actually uh, a slightly modified uh, version of a verse from Exodus. Oh. But mm-hmm. if you call it an ancient settler pro- <laughs> proverb, it, that's mm-hmm. what like you know white people do to mm-hmm. like native sayings, right? To oh, make yeah. it seem mm-hmm. spookier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> 
I have a collection of posters that yeah. actually say yeah. ancient Indian proverb on the bottom. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's one of my favorite pastimes finding yeah. things. And I don't know if this is too idealistic, but but I guess the one thing that is is also really hopeful about the end of the film is that the baby is, you know, this is getting into binary, so I apologize for that. But the baby is a uh, female and there are no more like white men, you know, who could kind of um, oh, yeah. yeah, who could, who could, I don't know, infiltrate or I don't know, continue, continue this, this practice of colonization, right? Like there, there is kind of like, I guess what I get with blood quantum is this, the end of the idea, perhaps of the colonial word of blood quantum, right? Like that's mm -hmm. kind of going to end mm -hmm. now since mm -hmm. um, all the white people are dead and zombified, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So like, yeah, because there's no need to have a blood quantum, yeah, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. If you're not counting anymore. I guess, <laughs> I guess that is, I never even thought about that, but in, in that sense, by the end of the movie, yeah, the, I, the blood quantum's gone and then the need for it is gone. Right. Mm -hmm. And the only way to get rid of the need for it is, uh, is the end of the world. Is the radical yeah. well, to get rid of yeah, and, uh, and I have to give a little bit of a shout out. If if nobody's been watching the Baroness Von Sketch show, uh, they've been having some pretty good uh, episodes this new season. But I believe in the last season's episode, uh, Baroness Von Sketch, it's a troupe of women comedians. It's on the CBC. And uh, it's so good. And they do one sketch and it's, you know, one of them, it's start, a start of a theater show and somebody comes oh, on yeah. and goes, hi, you know, excuse me, everyone. Just, um, I'm going to do a land acknowledgement right now. And she like does her land acknowledgement. And then one of the audience members, also a white woman gets up and is like, okay, so should we leave? Cause <laughs> it's not our land. And she's yeah. like, no, 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 no. We just do this land acknowledgement. She's like, yeah, but so what do we do? <laughs> Some of them uh, go towards conversations. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's like, you know, and I think we are now um, starting, we're, you know, friggin' beginning to reconcile. It's not even enough. But what does it mean to 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 allow Indigenous sovereignty to reign? And I say allow because it's like the white supremacist capitalist state, mm -hmm. like somehow needs to author that sovereignty in a ridiculous, ironic way, unless it is like violently taken back, which is also the images we're seeing here. That's, that's uh, the whole purpose of like the the colonial government right now, mm -hmm. right? Is to, mm -hmm. is to say what is a uh, proper sovereignty or not right. sovereignty within my yeah. limits, which is not sovereignty. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it, it's funny because uh, this conversation also comes up when we get into land back memes, which is mm -hmm. my favorite fucking thing. <laughs> um, but everyone's always like, well, if they want their land back, where, where's all the settlers going to go? We might as well leave it's stolen land. And, and I always have to end up explaining because like, I'm, I guess I'm patient enough or I'm deranged enough to actually talk to some of these fucking weirdos. But, uh, I always end up being like, you can stay. <laughs> like, I, it's chill. Like, I, I don't know. Land back doesn't mean you all have to fucking leave. Like we can live with you. Yeah. We can yeah, keep, yeah, keep your fucking house. I don't care. I just want, you know, sovereignty is its own thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, um, yeah. another thing this film does, and this is completely out of left field. I watched an interview. I think it was George Strombolopoulos. Dan, I believe that you showed this to our class actually, after we watched rhymes for young ghouls and they, uh, George asked him about the indigenous perception or even like white perception of like indigenous culture on reserves. 
and how he kind of portrays it in this very gritty style Mm -hmm. um lots of drugs lots of alcohol Mm -hmm. you know there's always an alcoholic there's there's always like a party scene yeah um and and he was just like well that's just how it is on the reserve i watched this movie i watched blood quantum last night at like two in the morning and i went in for a smoke like i don't know six or seven times because the amount of cigarettes that were on screen was just like (laughs) triggering my cerebellum (laughs) and um and then they have a party and i was like oh this is sick like this just reminds me of being in high school and um and i just want to know how how uh it comes across to everyone else here what it how um I guess indigenous culture comes across. Does it come across as like this rudimentary thing or like this weird backwards thing or, or does it kind of make sense? I guess like, like does it, does it seem to show us in a bad light or does it show us in a realistic way? Well, and this is, this is almost a, a, a catch, right? Um, Cause I think uh, for myself as uh, a scholar of like women's horror, when I watched those images, I was like, oh, it's so masculine. Like, and that was like, my first response was not actually towards the indigeneity. It was just more like, okay, yes, you're having fun. Yeah. Like, you know, like there's so much more <laughs> you, like to, to do and I'm bored, you know, but, and then like you get over that thought, like that's a first thought and then you get over it and then, you know, you realize or not realize, but. I think this film is showing, you know, again, something that doesn't often get shown because it doesn't look nice. Like Mm -hmm. if this is what real life is, which for some it may be, and for some it may not be, but if it, if it is a reflection, let's say of Jeff Barnaby, because he's, he's talked about, you know, um, things like having the res car in his films. And he thinks that's really important because <laughs> you got to yeah. have a res car. You got to have uh, a res car. Yeah. And so it's like, if that is where you're coming from as a creator, then that is, you know, you are, you are drawing a portrait of your life. And I think it, it, this is where I get into that. Like, I don't really think white critics or white settler critics get to say whether this is accurate yeah. or not. Yeah. Right. Um, but I will say like the affect of it immediately was like, Oh, okay. This is, you know, not really my scene. And then you're like, Oh, but of course it's not my scene. And then you can move on from that. Like Lysol telling gross stories and stuff. Yeah. And then you're like, Oh, geez, men are just men. And then you're like, yeah, no, but there's more complicated (laughs) things happening here. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Definitely. I this is not deep at all, but I thought it was a fun seventies vibe. I was like, everyone's <laughs> pants look fun. Like, <laughs> <laughs> everyone's fridges are awesome. In this that was my main thing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, those are fridge so scene on point. Sweet fridges. Yeah, um, the only like thing I really commented on to Dean while we were watching is like, I I didn't think it showed resonant like negative light per se. I what I found though was that like. The dad that comes back from jail, I forget the character's Joseph, name. Joseph. Joseph. Um, he comes and is like, Oh, all these alcoholics, all these like shitty Indian people, but like also he is an addict himself. And so like it was, I guess that like hypocriticalness yeah. was like the only thing that really stuck out to me about the party scene, other than that it looked pretty fun. The yeah. scene that stuck out to me was right before that, where there's Ayla. Uh, in her gas mask, making joints. To, so sick. Yeah, mm-hmm. with my favorite scene in the movie. Badass. Uh, where she's like rolling these joints and like making money uh, for her herself and her her family. And she has this narration where she talks about like all the different kinds of joints. Like oh, like the 
there's the homeopathic yeah, uh, good, native yeah. folks who like it dipped in honey. And then there's the the folks who want to dip in formaldehyde to just completely fry their brain. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. And she says like, oh, this is what brings our people together. The art of forgetting. Yeah. Or I something like along those lines. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. thought that was very powerful. That scene reminded me of a lot of rural like field parties we had where if you went inside the house, especially if the parents were not there, you would not. It would not be uncommon to just see like one or two of the high school dealers literally just like set up. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Doing their thing. <laughs> I saw someone do a gas mask bong for the first time yeah. at one of these parties. So there was like, a, oh, yeah, this takes me back. So rhymes for young ghouls more than, I guess, uh, blood quantum too, except for the dick eating scene. Hmm. Um, those, those parties remind me, uh, we used to set up barn parties for like, I don't know, three, 400 people. Oh, yeah, and uh, we would check people at the door to make sure they didn't bring in drugs so that only our drug dealer friends had the, yeah. the exclusive <laughs> rights yeah. to sell drugs at the party. I'm not going <laughs> to name their names because I'm not a cop caller, but yeah, like, yeah. I know one of them definitely listens to this show. Oh, yeah. And it's like, yeah, we would just basically shake people down. <laughs> yeah, you'd be, like, you'd be like, yeah, not no money for you, but yeah. money for us. It's like, you're absolutely going to... Also, to be fair for us, given where we were, there was a lot of shit that would come in that was not the best. And by that, I mean safe. Yeah. So it was partially mm-hmm. us being like, safe. all right, if you smoke from this guy, you know it's not like cut with dust. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not going to kill you. But, so. but yeah, those those like those party scenes, I don't know. They, both of them, I believe, in Lentry and Ghouls too. Like It seems like it's the halfway point. Am I wrong about that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I feel Pretty like, it's like yeah. I feel like it's kind of like this weird pivotal thing where you're kind of seeing the underbelly, mm-hmm. uh, but like in a almost celebratory way. Like I just wonder if people feel like it's sad. Like I see this and mm-hmm. I didn't. Is that I, sad? I feel like, but you see like a drunk Indian on screen and you're like, oh, here we go again. You know what I mean? Like, um, I guess also. Just what, what did they say about the the four Ds of Indians in television? But that's also, I find a lot of the time when like an indigenous character is tokenized, then they'll be like, like a drunk or something, especially in older movies. But if this movie, like every character is indigenous pretty much, then to see like a couple people passed out or whatever, like there's obviously yeah. a lot of depictions of substance abuse amongst like a lot of the characters, but I, I don't, it doesn't read as like, to me, like but a it's condemnation not, fully. No, of, like, it, and it's not substance abuse, life. like based like just so- solely for the depiction of substance abuse on yeah. reserves it's they comment on why it's a problem mm-hmm. and like where these problems stem from and like the fact that like these people are are so impoverished and like the, this is the thing that brings them together because they they don't have anything else mm. but i guess maybe the chance is saying is like is that part of like i guess not to put words in your mouth chance but like is that the sadness that you're trying to ask if we see like yeah. i'm not yeah like actually because yeah. um it wasn't until I left the reserve and started talking to people that people started telling me that how I had grown up was different mm. or, or that it was fucked mm. up or, or it's like, what do you mean you, you did drugs with your friend's parents as a kid? Mm. And it's like, well, what do you mean you didn't do that? Like, I didn't know mm. that there was a difference, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, I grew up and I'm constantly told that this is bad. So then when I see it on screen, I'm like, okay, this appeals to me because like, this is very accurate. This is just like how things are and that's fine. But I get, I guess on one hand, I'm glad that it's happening. And on the other hand, I'm, I get worried that people's takeaway is, of course, this is what they're doing. Mm. Yeah. This is what indigenous people do. They get fucked up and they don't know what's going on. Like, I I just get, 
I guess it's a, uh, it's one of those things I guess, that I have to tackle, right? Yeah, and I and I I'm certainly not suggesting you know the systemic issues that are addressed in the film, or you know that you may be speaking towards, or uh, can be paralleled or compared to other scenarios. But it's like uh, I know plenty of friends who came from very small white white towns who did things that i was like you did fucking what <laughs> like yeah. you know like yeah. that is you, did you want to try and like kill yourself multiple yeah. times per yeah. night yeah. um and so i think you know um and i say that as somebody who grew up in a suburb so a city center so i didn't have a rural upbringing um so like you know I think often white people and white culture want to point that finger and say, oh, look at those guys getting fucked up. But it's like, um, do you think you're not doing the same thing? Like, I know you are. Um, or, you know, if you're in an urban center, you're just doing like, maybe you're doing quote unquote better shit, um, like in terms of like better drugs or whatever, you're still getting just as fucked up. And that's, that's why that party scene, I, I definitely understand where you're coming from but for me it was just like oh yeah i remember this <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> not quite on the same scale obviously and we never had a house quite as expansive like that was they lived in interesting looking house that was, was like cool. a multi yeah, was cool with the yeah. fairy lights everywhere yeah, yeah. i was yeah, like that. 70s fridge like, love that too a shitty like pre-made <laughs> farmhouse like awful yeah but yeah. for me it was like that being said though as dan has acknowledged this is not typical behavior for almost anybody else it's like we lived in a fairly well, an entirely rural and pretty starkly divided uh, part of the greater Kingston area where it was either cottage country or like poor mm. farmland. So for us, we were like, yeah, it's great. Like it reminds <laughs> me of home. Right, right. Um, Emily, how did, how did you think it, it stood up to other Canadian horror films that you've seen? So in terms of how the films compare to like other Canadian cinema, I don't, I don't know if necessarily I want to think about it in terms of a comparison, but what I do think that Canadian cinema has done basically since like the eighties is produce these images that like, like deeply um, make the viewer kind of uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And, and I think, you know, Canada pre presents itself internationally as a very like benevolent kind of ideal country. And it helps when you have the States right next to you, which is kind of like a shit show. Right. But, um, but what these films point to is that there's actually something like quite sinister about the history of Canada mm -hmm. and quite, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. quite kind of like rotten to its core. And I think mm -hmm. what Jeff Barnaby mm -hmm does is explicitly align it with colonialism but i actually think that that's the root cause of any kind of unsettling image in in canadian film and yeah. that and that with uh with kind of more access to like media technologies with growing um images of canada being dispersed internationally it's becoming exceedingly more ob obvious the violence that happens in Canada and like the, the amount of human rights abuses that happen on our soil um, that are just horrifying. Right. So right. instead yeah. of this uh, amalgamous blob of politeness, there's kind of yeah. accountability um, mm. for the atrocities that kind of happen on our soil. Right. Exactly. Right. Like internationally, Canadians are like peacekeepers, right? We have like UN forces that that do peacekeeping in um, in various countries, like away from Canada. And so internationally, yeah, we're seen as this ideal space. And and of course, in order to maintain that well, image, we have to do a huge amount of erasure, right? Like historical yeah. erasure. And and look that. at the media, uh, the propaganda machine we've put out around the Mounties. Mm -hmm. Dudley do right, you know, which mm -hmm. is like the Mounties are an inept, cute northern police town. 
task force. Yeah. Um, we all know, or we should know, that the Mounties are not that. That they are yeah. actually a very insidious, violent police force. Yeah, and they were explicitly kind of made in order to displace indigenous people, especially exactly. in the West, right? They, yeah. they were a part of the colonial like expansion machine in Canada. And, and we don't really talk about that. We talk about that a little bit more like in the States with Western expansionism. But, mm-hmm. but um, in Canada, it's not really as much of a, a, a topic that's addressed in history classes well yeah. well uh dan and emily i just want to let you know that our podcast is explicitly pro rcmp emily they're gonna edit are they gonna redact all of it's <laughs> yeah. gonna be like a 10 minute interview <laughs> okay. well, well thank you guys for coming yeah. on it, like uh, before we let you go yeah also. If you have any other like closing thoughts that you want to share that you didn't get to. Uh, I just want to say like, thank you for having us and myself on board, but even um, for creating uh, some space to dialogue about this. And also, you know, that I think all of us shared some, some personal stuff and that uh, hopefully the listeners respect what's being shared with them and, and Mm -hmm. that that doesn't come easy to, to individuals. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's true. Uh, Is there anything you guys want to plug on your end? Well, you have the time, be it a class or another project you're working on. (laughs) Emily, Uh, why don't you plug your dissertation? (laughs) Uh, Well, okay. So my dissertation is on kind of abject images in Canadian cinema. And I'm going to be teaching my first ever course in the winter on, um, you know, narrative Canadian cinema. So we'll be looking at Quebecois film, migrant film, Indigenous. And we're actually going to be looking at Rhymes for Young Ghouls. I wanted to get Blood Quantum. Oh, I, I think we got Blood Quantum as well. We no, did. no, no. We're, we're going to watch Blood Quantum. Sorry, sorry. Nice. Um, yeah. And uh, a few other Canadian films that I really, really love. So um, it's a it's a third year course and it'll happen this winter. Right. And I think there are only like 40 spots available or something. All so right, folks, get on sign it. Sign up. <laughs> well, thank you so much, uh, Dan Venna and Emily Sanders for joining us. We had a great chat today. Yeah. And, and I, I just also want to add, uh, Dan, I know that you're going to be on CFRC, Air, CFRC Airwaves again uh, on Halloween. Uh, you're doing a Rocky Horror event, right? Ooh. Yes, uh, <laughs> Dr. Tamara DeSegio Lang and I are doing a feminist barroom brawl <laughs> lo- uh, radio edition. We watched Rocky Horror Picture Show and took took sides for and against, oh. and duked it out throughout the film. I'm very excited awesome. to into that too. Yeah, thank <laughs> you both so much for joining us. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for thank having you. us. Thank you.